evil winds of conscience blow through the ethers of man's own deep concern for his own destruction. Oh, it's Friday night. Oh, God, it's Friday night. You realize how close we're getting to summer, real summer? Yes. Summertime when the living is easy. I'd say summertime when the living is fine. Oh, summertime when them old fish are jumping. Ba ba da da dee 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 dee. La da 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 dee. Ba da da dee. Oh, summertime when the living is easy. I mean, I don't think the living ever has been easy. I mean, I just don't believe that. Do you, boss? No, sir. It ain't ever been easy. It's always been rolling upstream against an evil current of deep and mysterious water that contains unseen sharks and large creatures that fly in the night. Bum, ba-dum, bum, bum, ba-dum, bum, bum. You're listening to the only guy that plays a kazoo regularly with John Philip Sousa, if you will. Oh, I love this. Sinuses on it. Yes. <laughs> that was beautiful. Beautiful. I'll tell you. Hey, uh, uh, would you please raise your hand? Anybody out there would like to hear me do uh, Stars and Stripes? I, I believe. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Barney. Bye, George. You're the only one around here that appreciates talent. Now, I get the, get the Stars and Stripes. I'm just doing this because there are times when one has to indulge one's own thing, right? I mean, you know, you do so much for others at all times, don't you? I should do just self, just a self-sacrificing giving to others at all times. There are just times when you have to let it all hang out and do it for you, right? Okay, here we go. Let's go. Oh God, I love this. Yeah. 
talk about folk music. That's the real folk. <laughs> did you like that? Oh, boy, I sure gave that poor old kazoo hell. Look at that thing. It's red hot. Can't even hold a shoe. Wow. Well, well while we're uh, getting our breath back after that last fantastic arpeggio, would you please, Barney, if you will? This summer, when you 
you and your family are traveling, relax and refresh yourselves at a Marriott hotel and take advantage of our summer family plan. One easy toll-free call will give you a special guaranteed rate at any Marriott from coast to coast with a beautiful guest room, two big double beds, and of course the kids stay free in the same room. And we make it fun for them with pools and game rooms at most every Marriott. They even get their own special menu. And for you, there's a candlelit dinner in one of our restaurants and sparkling entertainment in the lounge. This year, your vacation deserves a Marriott Hotel. Going twice? Sold on Channel 13, the once-a-year on-the-air Telebid 13 auction. Eight-and-a-half fun, bargain, celebrity-filled days and nights. Starting Friday, June 6th at 8 p.m., running till Saturday, June 14th. Be a viewer, be a bidder, be a buyer of anything and everything. Appliances. Vacation trips. Home furnishings. Dreams come true. Antiques. Sporting goods. Celebrity items and loads of surprises. Starting Friday, June 6th. Going once. Going twice? Sold on Channel 13. Well, oh, well, I'm still getting back my thing there. I'll tell you, the, the uh, Stars and Stripes Forever has been pursuing me ever since I was a kid. No, that's the truth. I, I, uh, I'm really serious about that. I'll tell you, I've been jumped over the hoop so many times by John Philip Sousa that it ain't funny. Well, you're, you're talking and listening to an ex-tuba player. Oh, yes, I played the sousaphone and the tuba. I played the E-flat tuba and the double B-flat sousaphone. And uh, anybody who's ever played those instruments knows very well what Mr. Sousa did to the bass sections of the world. He extended the range, let it put us that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, he wrote notes for, for the uh, bass section that uh, even at this time in my life, I'll wake up some mornings, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'll, I'll wake up and I'll see that high C above D. And I, you know, and I, I start sweating, and I try to meet, I try to reach it, I try to, I you know, reach up for it, you know, and I never quite make it. Although uh, when I was in top form, I'll tell you, you know, a good, a good uh, sousaphone player gets up every morning at five, six o'clock in the morning, works out with the weights, and uh, you have to have plenty of diaphragm to play one of those things. You do, you know, it's not, uh, you don't just approach that like a fiddle. Oh no, not only is it heavy to carry. But it's a mean mother to play. Uh, it is. Uh, in fact, if it's easy enough for a sousaphone player to let it get out of hand. Uh, I've uh, had occasions when I was a rookie, just breaking in, uh, when, uh, you know, in a high wind, the sousaphone began playing me. Uh, it'll do that. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're trying to play Stars and Stripes Forever, and all of a sudden the sousaphone itself is playing the overture to Norma. And, uh, yeah, and, and you go the way of the sousaphone. It's just like having a percher on horse, you know. It's like having a Clydesdale. I mean, that's not quite the same, you know. It's messing around with one of those little Shetland ponies. And you get a Clydesdale, and he decides to push the side of the building in, and instead of going, uh, you know, nice down the path there like a nice little horse he should do, you're liable to be pushing the sides of buildings in. <laughs> so, uh, nevertheless, uh, Sousaphone, uh, uh, you know, oh, by the way, in case you're interested, you know that since we are coming into the uh, bicentennial, let's face one thing: uh, we're sort of hung on this on the revolution. Nobody's talking about 
all, all the other great stuff that happened for 200 years uh, between uh, you know the beginning and now. Of course, it's kind of petering off, the great stuff, but a lot of stuff <laughs> did happen at one time. And uh, you take the sousaphone now, John Philip Sousa. Now, it's no coincidence that the sousaphone was named after Mr. Sousa. He invented it. Yeah, he did. He invented it. And uh, there's not many instruments that have the name of a guy associated with them forever. You know, a man who invented it. Well, actually, Giuseppe Violin uh, invented the violin. Uh, very few people know that. Uh, it's uh, This is not generally known. Did you know that there was a man named Augusta Fife who invented the fife? That was, uh, he was French, of course. Uh, yeah, and there was there was another guy uh, named Schnauzerflute who invented the flute. But these are all things which, uh, which of course, uh, if, if you're if you're a student of the esoteric, you would know. Uh, and most of you are not the student of esoterica, since you spend most of your dumb time watching uh, Hawaii Five O. For God's sakes, this is W O R in New York. You clod. I'm gonna fly you like you have been flown before. Fly. I don't know why at the sing it it says here sing in a high thin voice. Fly Jennifer's day coach excursion fare to Miami and save a big twenty five percent of the regular round trip fare. So now it's only $141 round trip to Miami, even on a luxury 747. Fly Jennifer. Who is it? Fly Jennifer. Now, uh, I'm not going to burden you with that. I have a very scary show here lined up for you tonight. Very scary. So uh, you better send the kids out of the room. No, actually, kids, send the old man out of the room. He's not ready for scary stuff. He gets enough of that during the day. So uh, send the old man out of the room. Send your mother down to the, you know, down to the local store to pick up a gallon of ice cream so she can get even fatter. Hey, are you going out tonight? The going's great on Broadway, where a beautiful new musical called Shenandoah is getting bravos at every performance. Uh, that's Shenandoah, the smash hit musical at the Alvin Theater on 52nd Street. You can get yourself a ticket for it, too, which makes it even a better musical. And it won a couple of Tonys. Do you remember when I used to do the... Uh, how many of you remember when I used to do the commentary on the Tony Awards every year? You don't remember that? Yes, when Channel 9 used to cover the Tony Awards in a lonely fashion before the Tony Awards became fashionable and became a network show and were taken over by Robert Preston. Uh, we did, yes, we did the Tony Awards. And they came out of the Americana Hotel every year, and I did the commentary. Ah. Uh, <laughs> listen to the sweet sound of savings at TSS Times Square stores. Uh, I don't know how it sounds, but right now you can take 25% off TSS's usual low prices on every LP. We used to have a phrase in the Army about TSS. Uh, anyway, usual low prices on every LP and tape in the TSS entire stock. 25% off every record and tape label. RCA, Columbia, Slate, Capital, Warner Brothers, Louth, Atlantic, Motown, AM&M, London, and more, 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 more. Get your fill of rock jazz, country, shows and movies, as well as classics. Classics, you know, classics like uh, the Peppermint Rock and stuff like that, see. 
Anyway, all TSS department stores in Brooklyn, they're having this big sale, 25% off every record and tape. All TSS, I don't think it has anything to do with that Army expression, does it? No. All TSS department stores in Brooklyn and Long Island are open from 9.30 a.m. to 10 p.m. I'm Newsday reporter Mike Alexander. I cover Hempstead. I'm Newsday reporter Carol Agus. I lead a team that covers the town of Huntington. I'm Newsday reporter Stuart Diamond. I lead a team that covers the town of Brookhaven. I'm Newsday reporter Barbara Kantrowitz. I cover Oyster Bay. Long Island is a big place. Much too big for a newspaper to cover with part-time correspondents or a handful of reporters, although some papers try. To really cover the news of Nassau and Suffolk, a newspaper must have a big, talented staff of reporters and editors right here on the island. That's why Newsday employs an editorial staff of about 350 men and women to tell you every day what's going on where you live. No wonder, then, that more Long Islanders read Newsday than the Times, the News, and the Post combined. Newsday. Long Island's own newspaper. Uh, uh, I'm Charlie Gutstop, and I work at the Newsday office, and I go out for coffee. I just sort of hang around the office and I go out. My name is Charlie Gutstop. It's a good paper, they tell me, but I can't read good. Why, Aeromexico, the airline of Mexico to Mexico soon. Aeromexico, Aeromexico. Aeromexico, the airline that flies to three times as many destinations to Mexico and more tourists to and within Mexico than any other airline is ready when you are. We fly from more international gateways to Mexico than any other airline and serve three continents to the world's most popular travel destination, Mexico. And we offer over a thousand Aeromexico quality approved tours to Mexico, more than anyone else. So call your travel agent and fly with the airline of Mexico, Aeromexico, soon. Get out of here with you and say your commercial's over, you low. This is a silly business here. Singing about the airlines and what's going on here. All right, okay, all set now. It's time for scary stuff, right? It's time to begin the show. I mean, after all this fooling around. Let's get rid of these other two, huh? Get them out of the way, and then we can really do a thing here. At last, Broadway has something to sing about. It's the new smash hit. You know, there's no such thing as a non-smash hit musical. That's one word now. It's like, uh, how many, how many, uh, <laughs> how many, how many commercials you ever seen that they come on? The new Lolo Price. Lolo Price is one word now. Lolo Price. Uh, Lolo Price. Don't you remember her? She used to be this singer. She was always in these musicals, remember, playing Mexicans and all that stuff, dancing on the piano. At last, uh, Broadway has something to sing about. It's the new smash it. <laughs> I'm sorry. She was the one that had the basket on the head, you know, with the tomatoes and all that growing out of it. At last, <laughs> at last Broadway has something to sing about. It's the new 
smash hit musical, Rogers and Hart, at the Helen Hayes Theater. Clive Barnes and the New York Times closed it. A splendid champagne musical, absolutely delightful. What sheer fun. You know, he's English. Uh, the Daily News, they talk like that, said Rogers and Hart is an exuberant and dramatic musical. Actually, they, if it's the Daily News, they would say it this way. Rogers and Hart is an exuberant and dynamic musical. That's uh, do it in their, uh, their little accent there. Other critics have called Rogers and Hart a winner, wonderful, fantastic. So see Rogers and Hart at the Helen Hayes. Rogers is the one on the left with the straw hat. At the Helen Hayes Theater on West 46th Street. Oh, boy. Buck and Wing, you know, the whole bit. Remember Buck? If someone you know is planning to buy or rent new or used office equipment, <laughs> this is ridiculous to the supply, or vice versa, vice versa, vice versa, buy a, uh, a typewriter or a school-bound student. No, you don't want to buy a school-bound student. You've got enough problems with those already, right? You should visit American Dictating Machine Company. They rent typewriters and all that stuff. Uh, dictating machines and everything. You rent any kind of stuff down there. And they're having a great big sale and uh, all kinds of great prices on typewriters and stuff. It's ADM, and it stands for American Dictating Machine. That's not an American word, dictating. I don't like it, you know. But it's the American Dictating Machine. If you felt the desire to at least boss somebody around, you get one of these machines, you can holler at it all day long. And it'll do your bidding which is more than anybody else will, ADM, 5th Avenue and 23rd Street, ADM, for typewriters and office equipment. There you go. I like that commercial. Speaking of equipment, I like that the commercial comes out about 3 o'clock in the morning when you're watching this real lousy, rotten, late, late movie, you know, before the prayer of the day comes on. We give us this day comes on. And uh, you're, for some reason or other, you know, you're watching this guy. I, uh, I, I see a lot of those because, uh, I, I, yes, uh, uh, those bad movies are music for the eyes. Uh, it's when you're doing something else, you see. It, uh, it keeps the mice at bay and the cockroaches under the sink. You just keep it going, see. And late at night, these great commercials come on, and there's one that comes out where this girl says, Good morning, Miss Wilson. Time to get up. <laughs> All right, now there's a trivia question. What commercial is that in? Good morning, Miss Wilson. Time to get up. All right. Shepard knows them all. Roto Rooter. Oh, yes, that's a goodie. Yeah, we're all in it together, gang. Now, uh, would you like to uh, would you like to hear a scary story tonight? I mean, you know, it's the end of the week. Why not? Scary. And uh, give me a little scary music in there, please. Cockamamie shows on the ABC Mystery Theater, you know. Written by any number of seven guys named Brian. The Creeping Claw. Starring Colleen Dewhurst. <laughs> I'm sorry. You reset that in there. That was really good. <laughs> you like The Creeping Claw starring Colleen Dewhurst? Get it, get it ready. You know, you want to hear a really scary story? Honestly, the, the scariest stuff is, is the true stuff, really. Uh, I, I never can get scared of any of this cockamamie stuff that comes on, you know, to, with, the, with the panels on the wall that come out and the, the cousin 
that uh, because of a family flaw in the old, elegant, uh, aristocratic family has been kept locked up in his bedroom for 112 years because he grew up looking like a manta ray. You remember those guys? Remember <laughs> Great stories. But uh, here is, here's a true story. Uh, and a friend of mine who is a spy, not one of our spies out on the West Coast, he keeps me informed of what's going on out in the world. See, we don't get it anymore here in New York. New York is only concerned with its own naval. And it's got a rotten naval these days. That's the worst part of it. Moss is growing out of it. It was great when New York had a good naval to be concerned about. But now it's bankrupt. And there's nothing worse than constantly looking down at your bankrupt naval. I mean, that's what New York is doing eternally. If I hear one more, <laughs> one more statement by the head of any union, we ain't going to stand for this. The city of New York is going to go up in smoke if we don't. You know, that's getting to the point where, uh, you know, it's getting to be laughable. But uh, nevertheless, in fact, I think there's a large number of uh, New York residents that are saying back to them, why don't you let the whole damn place go up in smoke? Maybe it'd be the best thing happened to it, huh? 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 How you like that, huh? <laughs> Listen, I could make Archie Bunker, honest to John, look like Alistair Cook. Uh, sometimes he does. However, uh, uh, give, me some, give me something scary. This friend of mine just sent me this report that comes out of the West Coast. It's a report in the San Francisco Examiner and Chronicle. And it's dateline Elsinore, Riverside County. And the title of the piece is The Dogs of Elsinore. behind me, will you? We're going to tell you the story of the dogs of Elsinore, and you have never heard anything like it in your life. It is just after midnight. Inside the small trailer, Barrett puts down his binoculars for just a moment. He tries to relax. The full moon is two weeks away, and he doesn't expect the next attack until then. stay alert all night long. The 303 Jungle Carbine he calls Big Bertha reassuringly close and a 22 caliber Magnum revolver strapped to his side. You know, if you think too much about it, sitting here at night, you can imagine anything out there, even 10-foot rabbits. He smiles. This tall, lean man but there's a hard gleam in his eye that tells you he don't really think it's funny. There is a mystery in Elsinore, and fear of the unknown can make a man nervous. I don't know why these dogs keep coming back after I've shot and killed some of them. He says, maybe they forget. is readying for another assault, he explains, because droves of rabbits race past the trailer late at night and then sit still, listening 
And then they begin running again. But the rabbits should know by now they're not the prey. There is a strangely disciplined pattern. Barrett hears the barking off in the distance. And then, silence. The dogs strike in two teams from the north and west, looking purposely and coming along, loping in a line like a platoon of silent marines. And then the teams meet. They swing in unison and charge their target. Each time it's the same. It is a Schweitzer glider. Yes, a glider. sailplane as pirates as pilots prefer to call it only one glider is chosen at this tiny airport each time for the concerted assault each time they hit it's only one and it's always a glider the dogs rip and tear into the glider the enamel-coated Dacron fabric with their teeth. And it can't be much pleasure because the tough material cuts their gums and leads blood all over the grass. Bloody fibers are found on the ground the next day. Eleven gliders have been damaged by the dog pack in the last year. The last one was just one month ago, in the month of April. Barrett himself has thwarted four attacks since then. The first time it was at midnight with a full moon, he recalled. There were eight or nine dogs. I circled around outside the lighted area, and I took a bead on a German shepherd. Before I fired, I took a last check behind, and it was a pair of gleaming red eyes staring at me. I thought, now I'm in trouble. When I swung my rifle around, he charged. He made no noise. I got off three quick shots, and he veered off into the darkness. He looked like a real wild dog, you know, skittish and nervous. And then two more dogs come at me. I'll tell you, that gun of mine felt like a tinker toy. I didn't know which way they was going, which way they was coming next. I fired off 15 shots altogether. Now, I'm sure I hit three of them, but the 22 rifle I was using then just wouldn't bring them down. They just kept running. And then I picked up Big Bertha. Barrett patted his 303, Big Bertha, and then picked up his binoculars again, peering closely around the gliders parked several hundred feet away. Satisfied there was nothing suspicious, he went on with a shrug. Fighting dogs don't bother me. What gives me an eerie feeling out there on my own is when the dogs refuse to scatter. When I fire, they come in a pack. I get to wondering if there's someone out there in the darkness directing them. I can't tell what's going on. They just come at me in a pack. Sometimes they're howling. One night, in fact, when the, when the fog was swirling down thickly over the field, Barrett claims that he was startled to see the figure of a man silently watching him take aim at a dog. I thought, oh, my God, my God, I thought of firing it at him, and then the fog came in quicker, and I couldn't see him. A few minutes later, he heard someone yell off in the distance desperately. He heard him yell, come on, come on, let's go, come on. Maybe I imagined seeing that man, but the voice I heard was real. 
the bizarre attacks of baffled people all around Elsinore. There are too many coincidences, too many puzzling pieces, but they hide their fears behind jokes and, and too hearty laughs. Besides, the dogs never attack ever anything else in the valley. Elsinore is on the shore of a rough, circular lake around two miles around, 75 miles from Los Angeles and San Diego. Visitors come mostly for the action at the two casinos, the sands and the dunes, but they would never suspect what's going on out there. Visiting pilots talk brightly about the soaring center that boasts it's never lost a sailplane in flight. Only on the ground. And every full moon, the sound of the dogs baying in the hills can be heard. And they've tried everything, dog sprays, dog repellent sprays. But they come down out of the hills and destroy gliders one after the other. And now they have eaten up 11 of them. 11 gliders have gone the way of the snarling dogs. And they never touch other planes on the field. There are dozens of other aircraft sitting around. It's only gliders. And the guard with his 303 and his 22, Barrett, sits at night every night. And the last thing he said before the reporter left him was, I don't know what it is about these gliders, but when they sit out there at night and the moon is glancing off their wings and they're quiet and I can hear the dogs baying, I just don't, I just don't know what to think. you like that for a scary story <laughs> man and here's a picture by the way in the paper if you think I'm inventing it it's not this is true there's a picture in the paper here of one of the gliders with the whole rear uh, right at the for those of you that are pilots uh, they began just before the roots of the stabilizer and they tore the fabric off all the way back to the back of the rudder. And it's, uh, that's, uh, that's an expensive, <laughs> that's an expensive evening. Wow. Isn't that a wild story? Especially seeing the man out in the darkness there, uh, directing them. And they, they only go after gliders. Now the question arises, how can you train dogs to only hit gliders? And to come on even when you're shooting at them. Now, there's a story now. There, there's this maybe a guy that uh, during World War II was trained as a glider pilot. I could, I could, I could think of a fantastic plot. You know, he's trained. He was trained as a glider pilot, and uh, one day he he was uh, he glided in on D-Day, and uh, oh, you can see the whole plot developing. And his his glider came down into this dark field just before dawn in Normandy. And as it came down, it hit this high-tension wire and cut it in half, hurtling the crowd of soldiers out into the night at a great explosion, see? And he was, he was thrown down into the ground. And when he woke up, he was deep in a dungeon of a German prison camp. He lost both of his legs. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can see it, can't you, now? Wow, the, the mysterious dogs of Elsinore.
that attack only gliders. You notice they don't hit the... the uh, uh, well, they could be bird dogs. Yes, that's a very good thing. And they're aiming for bigger game. Yes. Very good. Wow. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, I can see I can see all kinds of ramifications. Now, uh, I don't know whether you've ever been at a small airport late at night. Well, I have been on many an occasion. And there's something quite eerie about small airports at night anyway. Uh, it's, a, it's a very special atmosphere. And uh, especially a, a small airport that has a very, uh, very dim landing lights that are on all night. You know, you, you just see this little line of yellow lights going down there and that little flash of red down there where you get the threshold and a few flashes of green up there, you know, where you're, you're, you've got it made, you know, when you get over that green and you see those red and green and yellow lights laying up there in the darkness. And out there, way out in the back, you know, way back of the hangars is the tie-down area. All those birds are sitting there with the with the soft moonlight on them. And some of the birds you see sitting in small airports have an, a ghostly quality about them. I remember coming into an airport one night, and this is a, a small, uh, just a, a small two-runway uh, airport that's used almost exclusively for private flying. All kinds of uh, small aircraft comes in that's very special in the woods all around it. And down at the end of one of the runways, I remember taxiing around and coming coming back, I saw these two big shapes just laying there at the end of the runway off near the woods someplace. I couldn't quite tell what they were. I could tell they were some kind of an aircraft, see? And uh, and as the plane swung around, the landing light caught him. It just swung past him. There were two derelict B-25s, ancient World War II bombers, just uh, sitting there in the high grass, still painted that G.I. brown, that the uh, Air Force brown, you know, that olive drab, and there were markings that were just fading out. You could see the big star, and all of it was fading out, and the, the plexiglass uh, bombardier, uh, the, the, the little cage up in front, you could see where there were some bullet holes that had been shot in it by 22s and stuff, and these two great birds were just sitting there and drifting off into history. And I taxi down, down, <laughs> mysterious. You just don't see that kind of stuff walking around 43rd Street. No way. And then, then one day, I, speaking of another airport, if you want to hear airport stories, one time I, I came into an airport, see, just the kind of things you run into. And this was deep in the heart of central Florida. And this was a grass strip. And uh, it was just marked on the chart, so it was right, right in the, edge of the beginning of the Everglades. Just a little grass strip marked on a chart. See, so we came down in the strip and it, it had cows down at one end of it. They were they were grazing under some palmettas and palm trees down there. And uh, the strip had a hump in the middle of it. And so when you landed, you kind of landed uphill and then, then your run out was downhill. <laughs> at least in the direction I was going. So up, down and that came taxing around. Here was this old kind of a kind of a deserted uh, a tin uh, corrugated iron uh, hanger with the, with the round bulging roof and the doors that were permanently open. This was the tropics. They didn't have to worry much about cold weather coming in there. The doors were open. In fact, there were no doors on it, but these old airplanes were sitting in there and a couple of, uh, a couple of new 172s were parked out there. And I walked into the hangar 
And here was this one of the one of the one of the most raunchy looking J three Cubs I've ever seen in my life. This is a true classic old J three, see. And uh, she was sitting there, and no doors on it. And it was uh, it was in the classic yellow, the Cub yellow. And really, uh, talk about an, uh, a, a battered old airplane. It wasn't restored or anything, but it was working. Obviously, there's oil coming out of the sides, you know, where the where the uh, where the oil had kicked out of the head, and, and uh, she was just sitting there. And I walk in, this guy's standing around there. He's walking around. He's he's wearing this Sears Roebuck uh, uh, two dollar ninety five cent sports shirt, you know, and, and a pair of blue jeans. And I walk in. He took one look at me, seeing. He saw kind of an elegant airplane that we'd come in and see. And he says, you an inspector? I said, hell no. Do I look like an inspector? He said, well, you never know. He's the first twin that's come in here. He said, since I think 1958, twin come in one night. And I said, uh, boy, that's a great-looking J3 there. He said, yeah, yeah, belongs to Otto. I said, Otto? Yeah, he's a he's an undertaker here in town. And so I looked into the into the cockpit, see, and there it was. Talk about a basic airplane. It was nothing. He had a camp chair in there, see. <laughs> the seats were gone, even. And, and it was just sitting there, see. And, and no instruments whatsoever, see. But except on, on the, up on the cowl there, there was this ball jar. And the ball jar was fastened down to the top of the cowl, see, and it had oil in it. And in the oil was this BB. And I said, what's that oil in the BB? He said, well, that's auto, you know. That's his turn and bank indicator. I said, I see. And I said, how come there's a big hole down there under the seat there? And there was nothing. You could just see the hole. There was, you could see right through it. See, the fabric was removed, and there was a hole down there. He said, well, you know Otto. And I said, no, I don't know Otto. He said, well, he just come out here. You know, he come, he fly this thing. He's been flying it now for maybe 30 years around here. You know Otto just come over. Everybody knows Otto. And I said, well, does he fly much? He said, oh, yeah, you know, Otto, he, he used to be a fighter pilot years ago before he'd become an undertaker. He took undertaking, you know, on the G.I. Bill, and uh, he'd been flying ever since. He'd fly this J-3 around. He got this J-3 someplace years ago. He'd been flying maybe 30 years, and he, every Sunday he just flies out. He just flies out over town. He just flies around, comes back in. He one time went right in the trees down there at the end one day. Didn't hurt the damn plane nothing, but sure as hell give them them cows a scare. I tell you, they didn't give no milk for weeks. So we down there, we pull the plane back in. A lot of come back. We set her back up. We had to put a couple patches in the, that left wing there, out of there, where the strut comes in. But he flies us. Well, how come that hole there, right there by the seats? Well, you see, Otto's got bad kidneys. I said, Oh, I see. I see. So yeah, you know, he oh he's very very thoughtful guy. Though he gets outside of town though. He makes sure he gets outside of town before he has any problem there. A little out of just five everybody knows him, you know. Ah, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, just for once in your life, you came to the right spot on the dial, right, friend? Thinking of them dogs out there in the dark.
Marcus. And it's kind of ironic that the name is Elsinore. That has a certain, a certain nice, mysterious, medieval ring to it. Elsinore. It's not East St. Louis. Elsinore. The Baying Houses. W.O.R. New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.